Our reading this morning is from 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is to love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God for which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ruth. Um, Well, good morning again. Um, You may be thinking, um, this seems like a strange passage to pick for a a baby dedication Sunday. but the way we do things around here at Village is that uh, we take parts of the Bible, usually, uh, and work through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that we can understand all of God's Word and all of what God is saying to us uh, about Himself. And last week, uh, we started a new sermon series in the book of 1 Timothy. Um, and I've been speaking to a few people this week who said they're very excited about this series. I'm very excited about this series that we're hoping to do for the next 10 weeks or so. And the reason I'm so excited is because I really, really want us to be a healthy church. Do you want that too? Yeah. I want to be a church that's faithful to God, a church that's committed to Him and to each other, a church that glorifies Him and makes Him known through the way that we live our lives together in this world. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And I know that that lots of you do too. And so I'm hopeful and I'm praying that God will use Paul's instruction in this letter to Timothy to impact us and to change us in such a way that we grow in being the kind of church that we want. A church that really does love God. A family who really do love each other. A church that that loves our city of Belfast in such a way that we see the calling that God has put in our lives to join him in the work that he is doing in restoring broken lives and restoring this broken world through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says in chapter 3, the whole reason he has written this letter to Timothy is so that the church in Ephesus in AD 65, around about that, and now the church here at Village in 2023 may know how we ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So this is an important letter. 
An important letter for us now, a letter which has lots of practical advice and wisdom on how we are to live together as a church which brings glory to God. It covers things like how we grow together as a family in faith. It shows us how we should care for each other, especially the more vulnerable and needy among us. It instructs us on how we are to live for Jesus in the midst of a hostile world. It helps us know how we discipline each other when one of us is straying off into sin and running headlong away from God. It helps us to know what godly leadership looks like and what we should look for in spiritual leaders in the church. That's one of the the big areas that Paul covers in this letter. And it's actually the area, if you noticed it, that he covers first here in our passage this morning. As we saw uh, last week, John introduced us to the book, um, but Paul gets straight into it. He doesn't go about any other kind of pleasantries, or the way he usually does other letters is maybe he, he gives a kind of praise and thanksgiving to God. He jumps right in to the heart of what the issue is here in this church. Because he, he knows that for a church to be healthy, the leaders of the church must be healthy too. As the leaders go, so goes the church. And we really want to be a healthy church, don't we? We do. So we would do really well to listen to Paul's instruction to Timothy in this church this morning. Because in our passage, Paul gives uh, the marks of, uh, two marks of, of godly leadership that help keep the church healthy. And the first one that he gives is this. Paul says, the church needs leaders who will guard gospel truth. The church needs leaders who will guard gospel truth. So this is verses one to six of our passage. Paul He's telling Timothy, the leader of this church, to guard gospel truth, to fight for gospel truth. Now, as I said, John introduced us to the the book and gave us kind of the context of this letter and and who it's written to and who it's written by last week. So I'm not going to cover all of that. Um, If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. Uh, But to give you the headlines of that, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, his young protege in ministry, to encourage him as he leads this church in Ephesus. It's a church that's probably about 10 years old, Uh, Back in in Acts 19 and 20, we see Paul spend two years with them, teaching them gospel truth, seeing the church being built up in gospel truth. And he appoints leaders of the church to guard gospel truth. Uh, And then he leaves them and heads on to continue his missionary journey. But we see right from the outset that, that there are things that need addressing in this church, 10 years on. Listen again to what he says to Timothy in verses three and four. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So here's the issue. There are some leaders in this church at Ephesus, probably the elders of the church or some of them at least, who are teaching false doctrine. They are devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which is having the result of promoting speculations, controversies. They're causing disputes and divisions around stuff that Paul says really doesn't matter. He says in verse six, they're creating vain discussions, or the NIV says meaningless talk. Chat about things that's just distracting the church from the work that God has given them to do by faith in him. And Paul says to Timothy, right from the get-go, this has to stop. 
Timothy. You need to charge them to stop teaching different doctrine, false doctrine. You need to charge them to stop straying from gospel truth. Now, you might be asking, well, what gives Paul the right to say this? What authority does he have? And how does Paul even know what false doctrine is and what right doctrine or true doctrine is? Well, remember who he is. We looked at this last week. Look at his credentials, verse 1. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. So he speaks with the very authority of God. And the message he delivered to this church 10 years before, and the one that he's writing to remind them of now, is not one that he came up with himself. Look at verse 11. He says, it's the gospel truth that God himself entrusted to me. See, Paul wants to remind this church that it wasn't built upon myths and endless genealogies. It wasn't built upon Paul's speculation or Paul's ideas about God. No, it was built upon the truth about God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which Paul himself was given by God, was appointed by God to pass on to them. And this is why Paul is so adamant that Timothy must intervene. That he must be a leader who stands up and guards gospel truth. Because if doctrine is false, if the leaders of the church are not teaching the truth and keeping gospel truth right at the center of this church, then the church will not be living in the truth. The church will not be living in the truth and they won't be able to then live for God, be faithful to God. They won't be doing the work that God has given them to do in the way that God wants it done. Do you see the aim of Paul's charge? The key verse in all this, verse 5 why Paul is telling Timothy to stop these people from teaching false doctrine. He's not just being theologically picky. He's not just concerned primarily with doctrinal preciseness, getting all your theological ducks in a line. No, the aim of his charge is love. Love for God, first and foremost, which is a love that then changes people to love others. Look what he says about this love, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Think about each of those in turn for a moment. A pure heart. In the book of James, in James chapter 4, he gives the command to the people there, purify your hearts, you double-minded people. See, a pure heart is one that's not double-minded, but singly and wholly devoted to God. Because the heart knows that more than anything else in this world, God is the one who is worthy of our highest love and affections and praise. That's a pure heart. Paul's talking about the sort of love, that, the issues from a pure heart that comes from a good conscience. Your, your conscience is your sensitivity to God and his ways. It's your receptivist to know what God wants and what he loves. Later on in the letter, Paul is going to talk about people in the church who are liars. And he says it's like their consciences have been seared like you would with a hot iron. They're hardened to God and his ways. They're, they're not sensitive to him, not willing to listen to him and live the way he wants. But a good conscience is 
sensitive. It's open to God, receptive to him. And it's the sort of conscience that leads to a sincere faith, a genuine trust in God, a complete confidence in who he is. You know that he's good. You know that he is trustworthy and faithful. And so you're glad to put your life in his hands, to trust him, because you've got a sincere faith in him. Paul longs for the church to be full of love, love for God, which will then overflow into love for others. That's the goal of his charge to Timothy here. That's why he says to guard gospel truth, because this kind of love only comes from knowing the truth, the truth about God. It only comes from being devoted to the truth, from delighting in the truth, from deepening our knowledge of the truth, And this is why we want to be a church that faithfully teaches people the truth about God. It's why we're a church that really wants to help people come to know the truth about God and grow in their knowledge of the truth about God. It's why we want to help our children, like you've seen this morning, from the earliest days, grow up knowing the truth about God themselves, in their homes, in this church, Because love for God depends on knowing the truth about God. And the more you get to know the truth about God, the deeper your love for him becomes and the more you're changed by him to then love others in the way he calls us to. This is why it's so important to have leaders who guard gospel truth, who keep gospel truth at the very center of our lives as a church. MC leaders, kids ministry volunteers who teach our kids the Bible elders who lead the church, teaching gospel truth faithfully, refuting false doctrine. Because you know what false doctrine has the potential to do to the church? It has the potential to wreck it, to destroy our relationship with God, to divide the relationships that we have with each other. False doctrine has the power to erode our trust in God, It has the power to stop us from giving ourselves fully to him and to his people and to his work. It is the power to stop us from loving with a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what's at stake here. See, why do you love God with a pure heart, with an undivided heart that's that's devoted to him? Why do you give yourself fully to him? Well, it's because you're convinced about the truth of his love for you. You're convinced uh, about the gospel and, and, and what the gospel teaches us about God, about how he loves us and how he gives himself to us. What Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did for you on the cross, taking your punishment, the punishment that you deserve for your sin on himself, bearing the penalty of death in your place, all so that you can have a right relationship with God again, a restored relationship with him, the forgiveness that's offered through Jesus Christ, the hope of life forever with God through him. You know the way that God loves you. And knowing that gospel truth, the doctrine of God's amazing, unmerited, undeserved love for you, it's what causes you to love him with a pure heart, to be wholly, singly devoted to him. But imagine some church leader comes along and they say this to you, that is such a naive understanding of God's love 
on the cross. Jesus was just a revolutionary leader, killed by the Roman authorities because of the things that he taught. And yet, you know, some of his teachings that he left behind after he died, that they're good. They're teachings that we can apply to our lives about how we love others and care for the poor and the needy. Yeah, absolutely. But you think that Jesus really died for you, that he loves you. See what that does? That false doctrine, what it has the power to do? It has the power to, to just wreck our relationship with God. It has the power to, to wreck this church. Why do you have a good conscience that's sensitive to God and his ways? Because you spend time in his word. Because you're convinced that the scriptures are the very words of God speaking to us today, revealing his character and his heart to us today. But then imagine some church leader comes along and says, no, 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 no. The scriptures are simply just an attempt by a particular culture to express what God means to them. And sure, there are bits that resonate with our culture now, absolutely. There are bits that, that there are truth for some people, but truth for everyone, the truth, absolute truth, it's not God speaking to us now, revealing himself to us. That's such a, a primitive view on God's word, on the Bible. What does that do to our relationship with God, to the way that we view his word? It, it just erodes it, doesn't it? It makes us doubt God. It makes us think twice about reading his word and, and applying what he says to our lives. It makes us doubt whether we can actually believe what God's word says to us. See, left unchallenged, false doctrine has the potential to wreck the church, to wreck our relationship with God, our devotion to him and to each other. Do we want to be a church that really knows God? and grows in knowing God? I think we do. We don't want that so that we're just a church that's full of knowledge, head knowledge up here, knowledge that we can share with others or, or share with each other to make ourselves seem like we, we know a lot about God. No, we don't want it for that reason. We want to know God because we want to love God. And we want to love each other in the way that he loves us. If we want that, then we must have leaders who guard the gospel truth. We must have leaders who keep gospel truth at the very center of our lives, not letting us be distracted by other things. We must have members in this church who pray for our leaders to guard gospel truth. We must have members of this church who will oppose leaders who stray from gospel truth. The health of the church depends on it. If the church is going to be healthy, then it must have leaders who will guard gospel truth. And secondly, in verses 7 to 11, Paul says, if a church is going to be healthy, then it must have leaders who encourage people to confront their sin and confess their sin. Confront their sin and confess their sin. And we all wince. Really? Talk about sin. Confront sin confess sin, that sounds awful, absolutely awful. Sounds like the kind of place that people will only feel judged by others. People will feel really bad about themselves. 
The thing is, when we, when we get to grips with what Paul is teaching here, we see why this is such a loving thing. Why this really is such a good thing. A good thing for the church and a good thing even for those who are not yet part of the church. See, Paul says in verse 7, these false teachers who are swerving from truth, they're desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know, Timothy, that the law is good if one uses it lawfully or properly. God's law, what is God's law? Well, it's not just loads of rules. It's not just the Ten Commandments. Uh, we, were, we were all created in God's image. We were created to be like God and to reflect his character and his heart and his image to each other into this world. And God's law shows us what God is really like. It reveals God's heart and his character to us. So God says, I'm holy, so I want you to be holy. I'm faithful. Always keep my promises, so I want you to be faithful. Keep your promises. I'm a God of justice, so I don't want you to turn a blind eye to injustices. And these false teachers, they want to be teachers of the law, Paul says, but they're not using the law as it's meant to be used. Because verse 9, he says, we know, Timothy, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. The law was not made for the just, for righteous people. But Paul says these false teachers, they are going around saying that it is. It's for people who are already right with God. These teachers, they're actually encouraging self-righteousness, where people think that they're basically doing a decent enough job of keeping God's law. By and large, they're good and right with God. But Paul says, no, you're not using the law right because the law is not given for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. In other words, God's law is not given to show us that we are right with God, but to show us that we are not. It's given to reveal and expose our unrighteousness. The fact that we are not like God, that we do not reflect his image and his glory. Instead, we are like verses 9 and 10. Lawless, ungodly, like those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, those who do whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. There's not time to, to go into the details of everything that Paul lists here, but I'm guessing that the mention of some things make us a bit more uncomfortable than others. Things about sexuality, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, these are things that, that don't land well in our 21st century years. But do you see at the very least that Paul is not singling out sexual sin? He's not pointing a judgmental finger at one group of people. His big point in giving this list is to say that we are all there. We're all on the list, me included. And what we often do as humans, what we get very good at doing actually as humans is, is we let our eyes focus on some things and ignore others. We see the big sins or the real sins, but we get good at ignoring other sins, the kind of more respectable sins, the, the sins that maybe no one else sees that are hidden in our hearts and in our lives. But did you notice Paul talk about liars, for example? 
or whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel. So that must include things like pride, lust, anger, impatience. See, whatever way we look at it, numbers are off the hook here. Me, Alan McCluggage, I can find my name somewhere in verses 9 and 10. Disobedient to God and his law, unholy, a sinner. Paul's point is that these false teachers are not using God's law properly because if they did, then it would confront everyone. Everyone in their sin. And help them see that that they are not righteous. That they are not right with God. The law was given to show us that we're not okay on our own before God. That we need help. We need Jesus. Remember what we've seen of Jesus in these last few months as we've studied Luke's gospel. He says that he's not come for those who are well. He's a doctor, but he's not come for the well, for righteous. He he has come for the sick. He has come to call those who are sinners. Everyone that I talk to anyway who doesn't know Jesus, they think that he's come for good people, for righteous people. But the truth is it's the complete opposite. He's come for people who aren't good, for lawbreakers, for sinners. In his love, he came as the doctor to heal the sick to save us from our sin. That's what Paul says in the next section that we'll do next week, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I, Paul, am the foremost. I'm the worst, he says. See that list? I'm all over it. That's me. Do you see why it's so dangerous to misuse the law of God, to be a church leader who, who misuses God's law? Because if people do not think they are sick, If they do not think they need help, they will never go to the doctor. If I tomorrow start coughing up blood, and I cough up blood for a few days, and I speak to to one of my friends, to Tom here, and I said, Tom, I'm coughing up blood regularly. If he was to say to me, I think you're all right. Do you know, don't worry about it. It'll probably pass in a few days. How unloving, how uncaring would that be of a friend? to not send me to the doctor, to not tell me to go to the place that I need to go to, to visit and see who I need to make me well. And if people do not think they are sinful, they will never see their need of Jesus as their savior. And they will never turn to him as their only hope in life and in death. We have false teachers in the church today. It's really sad. We have false teachers in the church today who refuse to talk about sin, who are unwilling to confront sin, even some of them who are willing to bless sin. And they are the ones who sound so loving and so accepting of others, but what they are doing is in fact the complete opposite of love because they are driving people away from Jesus. Keeping them from the doctor, from seeing their need of him, from turning to him to be forgiven, to be healed, to be made whole, to be saved from sin and death forever. They are stopping people from experiencing Jesus' love and forgiveness and peace and joy. 
That word sound at the end of verse 10, it means healthy. It's like whenever someone says that they're sound of of mind, you know, their mind is healthy. And what Paul is saying is a church that confronts sin, that encourages people to confess sin, is a healthy church. Why? Well, most importantly, because it keeps the church going back to Jesus. Everyone running to him. Because becoming a Christian for the very first time is about going to the doctor for the first time. It's about acknowledging for the first time in your life that you're not well, that you really need help, that you cannot make yourself well, and that you see that Jesus is the only one who can. And then continuing in the Christian life is about continually going back to Jesus every single day, asking for the help of his spirit to lead us and change us to make us more and more like him, to love like him, to be compassionate and gracious like him, to view others like him, to speak like him, to be, to be devoted to God like him. And continuing in the Christian life, it means that when we do sin, when we do fall short in keeping God's law, which, let me tell you, we all, all will. At some stage this week, we all will fall short. But we do not need to hide our sin or wallow in our sin, or continue even to carry the burden of our sin. Because the truth is, if we confess our sin to God and to each other, we know the gospel truth, that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus died on the cross to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen? Jesus' death on the cross, it holds out the offer of complete forgiveness a completely clean slate and a restored relationship with God forever. Amen? Amen. We all need Jesus. Every single one of us. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or for five minutes, you need Jesus today. As much as you did, that that moment when you went to him for the first time, that moment of realization. If you're someone who's here this morning, And up until this point in your life, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Do you see this morning that that Jesus is the one that you need? He is the one that you need more than anyone or anything else in life. Maybe you're aware of of the sin in your life. Maybe you're feeling the, the guilt and the shame of it. You feel like you've been carrying it for a long time. Do you see what Jesus offers to you today? He offers to lift that burden of sin off you, to take it to the cross where he paid for it all. He offers you a forgiven life, a new life, a life that that is like nothing else this world can offer, a life that that you're really looking for, searching for. Will you go and will you visit the doctor today? Will you turn to him and experience his healing and his salvation? A church that doesn't shy away from talking about sin and regularly confesses sin, you know, that will be a healthy church. A church that's full of life and vitality because it will be full of people whose hearts are full of Jesus Christ, full of his praise, full of his love, full of his life. And that will undoubtedly spill over into the way we then live together as a church.
into our relationships with each other. His love will unite us together. His love will give us the capacity to forgive others when we've been wronged. His love will empower us to serve others and put their needs above our own. His love will compel us to run out of these doors and to share the good news about him with others, to introduce others to Jesus, the friend of sinners. And you know, if we're a church where people are continually encouraged to confess their sin, we'll be a church that's full of humble people, really humble people, people who do not think of themselves as better than anyone else, people who do not look down on anyone else, whether that's in here or out there, because we know the truth, we're living in the truth, that we're all sinners saved by grace and by grace alone. We'll be a church that's marked by humility and we'll be a church where no one feels the need to pretend, where we can all be totally upfront and honest with each other. Because think about it, if leaders of the church are standing up here and they're continually saying, we're all fine, we're all doing a great job, aren't we, in following Jesus? Yeah, there's some of those things, but don't worry about the details, we're doing grand, all of us. What does that do? If you're someone who's sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I'm not grand, I'm not fine, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job in following Jesus, what does that do for you? It makes you feel like you're on your own. Like you're a struggling soldier who's out there in the battlefield on their own. Like you must be the only Christian who finds following Jesus really hard, costly. And it stops us from being totally honest and authentic with each other about our sin, about our struggles, which we all have, which we all experience. But listen, we are all here for the same reason. We're all here to see the doctor. It's like we're sitting in the hospital waiting room. He is the one that we need. And so that is why we are here, to visit him, to be healed by him, to be made new by him. Every single day of my life, I need Jesus' forgiveness. I need his help and empowering. I need his grace. And the truth is, you do too. So we don't need to pretend with each other. A church which is upfront about sin, a church where we're encouraged to talk about our sin and confess our sin, that'll be a church where everyone feels welcome, where everyone feels that they can belong. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. Ray Ortland is a, a pastor in America in a church in Nashville. He's the kind of person that I just... I'd love to have as my granda. You know, you just go in and you see, and he just, it's like every time you talk to him, it like soothes your soul, makes you feel well again. And every Sunday, he stands up in front of his church uh, and he delivers the same call to worship to them. And he says this, it's on the screen. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel and desire strength, and to all who sin and need a savior, this church opens wider doors in the name of Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. I absolutely love that. Let's be a church that together continually comes to Jesus, the friend of sinners. Let's be a church 
that puts our arm round other people who are sitting amongst you here and, and brings them to Jesus, the friend of sinners. Let's be a church that goes out from here and during the week, we're putting our arm around other people who don't yet know Jesus and we're trying to help them see who Jesus really is, the friend of sinners. As I finish, see how our passage ends this morning. John's preaching next week. Ah, he's, he's got a really good one uh, because it just, it's just Paul going into the gospel in more detail in all of its glory. And he, he says this at the end. He gives us a, a glimpse of it, what's coming. He says, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. God's glory is his excellence, his majesty. And do you see how the gospel is so glorious? How it displays God's glory? Because it's through the gospel and the gospel alone that God brings people who are the worst of sinners into his family. To be known by him and loved by him and to have their lives transformed by him in such a way that the worst of sinners becomes like Jesus. That is amazing. That is glorious. And when we twist the gospel, we're not just twisting a bit of doctrine that doesn't really matter. We are actually stopping people from seeing and experiencing the glory of the blessed God. And I never want us to do that. I never want to be a church leader who does that. I want us to be a healthy church. I want us to have healthy leadership in this church. I want us to be a church that, that really loves God and loves each other and loves this city of Belfast as best as we possibly can, depending on him and asking for his help every day as we try to do it. That's what you want, isn't it? Thomas does. Does everybody else want it? Yes. If we do, then we must have leaders who guard gospel truth and we must have leaders who encourage us to confess our sin, confront our sin, sorry, and confess our sin. Because that is what is for our good. And that is what brings Jesus Christ all the glory. Will you stand with me now? I'm going to pray for us.